It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Lou Whitaker with two down in the ninth inning stands in and BD's delivery to him swung on on a slice fly ball into deep left center field. Joe Simpson way back near the warning track reaches out to one end the ball. Oh my! What a catch by Joe Simpson! There was Jim Beatty with a complete game against the Detroit Tigers in a Seattle Mariners uniform. And today we will sit down with the former Mariners pitcher. Jim Beatty, what an amazing baseball life he lived as a pitcher in a Seattle Mariners uniform, a baseball executive, including time with the Seattle Mariners, a scout as well. And he has some tremendous stories to tell. I hope you enjoy the conversation with the great Jim Beatty. When you think about your time with the Mariners in those days, what jumps to mind? What do you think about? Well, mostly my teammates. You know, I played with some guys that, that came around. They, and we, we didn't have the greatest teams, but I think we had a lot of fun. Early days, you know, some of those guys that I played with, you know, Rick Honeycutt, uh, Mike Parrott, who was my – in those days we had teammates or, or roommates. I mean, when you went on the road, not everybody had singles. Nowadays, all the players get singles. It's kind of in the basic agreement. But in those days, you had roommates, roommates, which I really enjoyed. I got to know my teammates better. Mike Parrott was another pitcher on the, the club, and uh, he was a roommate for most of my time there until I got a single. But I, you know, just the pitching staff that we were on, going from the early days when I pitched with Glenn Abbott, who was there, uh, who I still would see when I was scouting later on in my career as a pitching coach with the, um, with the Mets in the minor leagues. Rick Honeycutt, who I would see pitching coach with the Dodgers. Uh, Matt Young, who I've stayed in close contact with. Uh, he he uh, comes back east every once in a while. Matt and Sue Young are good friends of ours, some of our better friends in baseball, really. All the way up to, you know, Bill Cottle, some of the crazy things he did. And our, our bullpen guys, Larry Anderson, who was a, broadcaster with the Phillies for years and you know obviously playing with Gaylord Perry which was a great great thrill uh, on a pitching staff but you know the characters that we had on our club uh, are the guys that stand out Tom Pachorek, uh Richie's disc you know Julio Cruz playing with and and the good young players that came along you know towards the end of my career like Alvin Davis Spike Owen Harold Reynolds Dave Valley I mean the, the list Jim Presley, all those good guys uh, that I play with that, that I just have good stories, good memories of. Um, and then every once in a while, a game pops up. People will, will tell me, well, I remember, you know, I, obviously my best game with the Mariners was the one hitter I threw against Kansas City in uh, one of my last couple of years there and uh, uh, enjoyed it. Played for pretty much all the managers from uh, Daryl Johnson all the way up to, uh, I guess my last one was uh, Dick Williams. So there are a bunch of managers I played for in there as, as well, uh, kind of in the history of the Mariners. What do you remember about that one hitter against Kansas City? As I remember, it was kind of we were both kind of out of out of the running, uh, and um, uh, and I, I'm trying to think of who the left fielder was. It may have been Ron Renicky, who again another guy that who's, who I saw quite a bit in baseball uh, as a coach at the major league level. Mm-hmm. 
So the one hit I gave up was in the third inning to UL Washington, and it was two outs, nobody on, and it was kind of a sinking line drive to left field. The left fielder told me at the end of the game, you know, if I'd have known that was the only hit you were going to give up, I probably could have dived and caught that ball. But with no out, well, with two outs and nobody on, I don't want to dive and end up with a guy in scoring position early on in the ball game. So I didn't do that. And other than that, I, 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 felt it went, I felt like I was in control. You know, there aren't that many games where you feel like you can could, you could spot your fastball. Uh, they're swinging at pitches out of the strike zone uh, and not hitting a lot of balls hard. And, you know, and in those days, it was a complete game, but I had years where I had 10, 12 complete games. So it wasn't that uh, odd for me to, to, to uh, finish a ball game. But a lot of fun, obviously, because it was the first one hitter and then, uh, since that time, some great pitchers have gone on to throw no-hitters, so it's kind of been pushed in the back of the, the uh, Mariners' history. Well, it was in the kingdom, too, which makes it all that more impressive, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Pitching in the kingdom, you had to have a different mindset for that. So uh, I, even in the later days of pitching in the kingdom, they moved the, the home plate in. I, I think they moved the home plate to extend the fences by another 15, 20 feet. They raised the fences. Right field, now you had to hit it over the high part of the – all of that was gone, uh, was not there when I was pitching. It was an 11-foot, 10 or 11-foot fence all the way around. It was in close. Line drives could be home runs. Uh, the turf was not great. So you, what you had to do is try to keep a mindset of, I pitch her all the time. The guys that don't come in and, and don't play here all the time, they don't like pitching here, so I had to, at least in my mind, play the game and keep it to an advantage for me and for the Mariners, for our team. Do you have any other favorite games that you think about? Well, I had a couple, obviously. I pitched up. Uh, I think I threw a shutout against the Red Sox the night after my son was born. Oh, wow. uh, Sam uh, was born April 30th, 1985. And then, obviously, I brought the ball in and uh, gave it to Martha, and uh, actually, I, I don't know, maybe Sam has it now. Sam, my son, and his wife, Julie, live in Seattle now. They moved back uh, four or five years ago, and they love Seattle. So that's a big game that I remember. I beat Roger Clemens, I think, uh, the, a young Roger Clemens in 1985 uh, for that. One other game that kind of sticks out was a, was a, uh, a shout-out against the, uh, the Tigers in Tiger Stadium. Uh, I had gone to see Rocky the day of the game with Richie Zisk. And it was the, whatever movie it was, was eye of the tiger. And every inning, Richie would come in and kind of talk to me. He said, you know, that, you know, my nickname was Zelmo. He said, Zelmo, eye of the tiger, baby, eye of the tiger. So I go out there and I ended up throwing a four hit shot out against the tigers in tiger stadium that day. So some fun, some fun games. Uh, that's phenomenal. I love that. <laughs> eye of the tiger. Where did you get the nickname? Well, I had it in college uh, years ago, and the interest, there's an interesting part that I'll, I'll finish with. But years ago, there was a an NBA or an ABA and an NBA player called Zelmo Beatty. Mm -hmm. His last name was B E A T Y, and so my last name being Beatty, my my brother actually had the nickname in high school. So I got it when I was in college, and they didn't really use it when I was with the Yankees. But when I got to the Mariners. I think it may have been Pachoric who put the nickname on me, and so it kind of stuck. And to this day, I have my teammates still call me Zelmo or Z, and my college uh, friends call me Zelmo or Z as well. Uh, and so it stuck with me. But the, the interesting part of that was 
when I was finished playing and I was working as a farm director uh, with the Mariners, I would go to some golf tournaments every once in a while. And Zelmo Beatty, uh, the basketball player that I was, in essence, named for, uh, nicknamed for, lived in Seattle, and he would show up at these tournaments every once in a while. So I'd walk up to him and I'd say, Zelmo, how are you? And he'd look at me and say, Zelmo, great. (laughs) (laughs) So it was fun to to get to know him a little bit in Seattle. He passed away a few years ago. You mentioned your Yankee days, and there's a couple games I have to talk to you about. And one is when you were a rookie in 1978, you got the start against the Kansas City Royals in the playoffs. Now, before we talk about the game, I've got to hear – what happened before the game with Howard Cosell? Uh, well, the reason I got the start was we had the one-game playoff with the Red Sox that we obviously had to throw our ace, Ron Guidry, uh, and no one else. And I had been in the rotation for about the last month, month and a half, so it, and it pitched pretty well uh, in September. So no one else was kind of lined up for that day. Uh, and I was the one that was lined up for the day. But So I was out in those days. I mean, it was my first playoff game. I was out on the bench watching. You know, I wasn't staying in the clubhouse and thinking about it. I'm thinking, I'm going to enjoy this. I went out, watched batting practice, saw everything that was going on. I watched the other team take batting practice, watched us take, take batting practice. And I think at some point they wanted to do a pregame interview. And Howard Cassell came over and, and uh, stuck a microphone in my face. And he talked along the way a little bit about things that just kind of introducing myself. But he said, you know, so I have to ask you, you know, you're, you're a Dartmouth graduate, you're a rookie, you're a young man in the league. You haven't had a lot of success about the Kansas city Royals. And he finished it all with, are you scared? <laughs> and I kind of chuckled to myself and I said, I don't think I can afford to be scared at this point, but I obviously just had a short quick, uh, no, sir, not at all. But then later on during the game, my friends told me that he brought that up and he obviously played the little, the interview, but then had mentioned something about, you know, the same type of thing that, uh, well, you know, they don't, they don't teach you to pitch to Pete Lecoq in the Ivy leagues. (laughs) And Pete Lecoq was up to bat at the time. And I'm thinking all the great hitters on the Kansas city Royals, he wanted me to be scared to pitch to Pete Lecoq, who was a left-handed hitter and a good hitter, but, I mean, they had George Brett, Hal McRae, Amos Otis. I mean, you can go on and on. These guys were great hitters. Willie Wilson, great hitters, but he brought up that point to make when I was pitching Pete Lecoq. Howard talked to Thurman Munson about it. Let's listen. Thurman, since you have to go with Beatty, and Gidry can pitch for several days, do you think this gives the Royals the edge? I don't think so. You know, Beatty's got a good fastball, and his breaking stuff's real good. Uh, he gets the ball over the plate, uh, which... Uh, I'm sure he will, and he did his last two or three starts uh, very effectively. Uh, I don't think he's going to have that much trouble as far as uh, their hitting's concerned. I think what he's going to have trouble is they get a lot of guys on base or if he's a little wild, and uh, running's their game, and they get a lot of guys that can move and uh, not real physically fit right now, so it's going to be interesting. Yankees win that game, so you move along to the World Series, and you end up having a dream game. I mean, this is what everyone would love to do. A complete game World Series victory against the Dodgers in a packed house at Yankee Stadium. I cannot imagine what that was like. Well, I mean, it was interesting in the fact that I I remember this because Clyde King was our pitching coach, and I'd gone out to the bullpen. And as I said, I had been pitching pretty well. But as you remember, I was was pitched well when I was in a rotation. I pitched every five days and kept my 
my rhythm. I pitched the first game of the playoffs, a five-game series against Kansas City, and then I pitched the fifth game against the, uh, the Dodgers. So it was more than a week mm. between pitching the, that game against Kansas City and pitching the game against the Dodgers. So it was tough for me to kind of keep my rhythm and keep my mechanics together, especially this, my rookie year. So I was out in the bullpen, and I just kind of walking in from the bullpen with Clyde King, I remember talking to him a little bit saying, well, Clyde, you know, I don't have to worry about leaving it in the bullpen because I didn't have anything in the bullpen. And I'm sure Clyde was thinking, oh, my God, what are we going to do? This kid's not going to get out of the first inning. Uh, we gotta, I, he probably went in, and told, went in and told Lem, he said, we better get our bullpen ready because I'm not sure for how far he's going to go. And I had, you know, I had my rough, my rough patch. I think it was a, a leadoff single to uh, Davey Lopes. And immediately it was, I was slow to home plate and Davey Lopes was a big uh, base stealer. So how long is it going to take for him to steal second? So I don't think I probably did some throw overs to first or whatever. And I can kind of, I have this in my mind that, you know, sure enough, third or fourth pitch, Davey Lopes steals second and Thurman doesn't even throw it down. (laughs) Thurman isn't going to embarrass his arm with my slow time to home plate to even make it look like he had an attempt. So I'm sure Thurman just took the ball, threw it back to me like there wasn't even anybody on base. Uh, he was not going to embarrass himself or waste the throw. And I think Davey ended up scoring that inning. Uh, so we were down. It was close. And the game was close for a while. But this game ended up being, uh, thinking about the sixth or seventh inning, we blew it open uh, and we scored a bunch of runs. It, it ended up being 12-2. Uh, to two. Uh, but, you know, it was my last game of the 78 season, and they were, uh, you know, Lemon wasn't going to. He was going to save his bullpen as much as he could, and so there were no real pitch counts in those days. So I'm sure I threw 140, 150 pitches in that game, but I said it was my last game. I had all winter to rest my arm. It's wild to look at the video of that because you get the last out, and then it's just mayhem. I mean, fans on the field. Oh, yeah. It's, it's wild to watch you just run off and, and try and get to the dugout in one yeah. piece. Well, you see what's happening here. Some fans, some unruly fans, as usual, there at Yankee Stadium for some reason. And now we've got a problem. There is Dusty Baker, who says it all for the Dodgers. He can't believe what's happening. He can't hardly believe what's on that scoreboard as they watch this. A final score, a tough day for the Dodgers, a great day for the Yankees, as the Yankees really had a laugher defeating the Dodgers by the score of 12 to 2. Yeah, well, it's, that's very different the way. I mean, the fans always came on the field. You're running off. I remember one time Chambliss hit a, uh, a walk-off home run. He had to give a guy a forearm shiver to get to home plate. They were running all around him. He finally tagged home plate. And, and this game where I ran off, you know, I, I went over. I think the last out was a ground ball to me. I ran over to first base, underarmed it to Jim Spencer. And then Spencer comes to me and jumps into my arm. And then the fans hit the field. So then we had to kind of circle and run to the dugout as fast as we could. A fan went to grab my hat. So I grabbed my hat, pulled it off my head, took my glove, put it underneath my arm, and started to run towards home plate. And it's interesting because as a result of that, as a young 24-year-old uh, blonde, thinning hair, uh, redhead, thinning hair uh, ball player, the, the offseason came and I get a phone call from a uh, hair transplant company. And they want to give me a free hair transplant or a free uh, whatever it would be 
because they noticed that I had thinning hair. If, if they, it would be free as long as I'd be a spokesman for it. And I said, you know, I'm fine. I'm, you know, it's going to happen. I'm not worried about it. And uh, so I never took that, but it, that was all because that fan went to reach for my head for my hat. And uh, this, this company saw my balding head and uh, saw an opening. Oh, that's, that's so great. So you're two years with the Yankees. You go to the Mariners with, you had a really nice run with the Mariners. I mean, seven years, one of the best pitchers in Mariners history in that stretch. Well, I did. I think after I got through, I went over there. My shoulder really bothered me. Maybe it was bothering me more than I thought. My, my 1979 season with the Yankees was not very strong, and I had shoulder problems pretty much through my entire career, uh, off and on. And it says a lot about that. My, some of my best friend really in baseball pretty much, one of, probably top two or three is Rick Griffin, the trainer who uh, retired a year or so ago. And I still, I'm going out to fish with Rick in uh, Montana again this summer. I spent a lot of time in the training room uh, and the times when I was healthy and felt good, I was successful. The times that when I went out there, I ended up having three shoulder surgeries uh, my last couple of years and never really came back from that uh, all that well. In those days, shoulder surgeries weren't particularly successful in my uh, my shoulder bothered me quite a bit, but I went out there and pitched, pitched with a, a fair amount of pain. But when I felt good and I was healthy, I did. I felt like I had good success and had some good runs and put together some pretty good teams and uh, pretty good years and uh, finished up. But really, that was that was why I had to end it. I mean, I, I felt like uh, I was part of some pretty good pitching staff. I developed into a, a frontline starter. I remember I, I was at when I was with the, the GM of the uh, Orioles, I was at the uh, – uh, Eddie Murray's induction ceremony up in Cooperstown and uh, Kirby Puckett came over and talked to me and talked to my family and he took looked at my kids and he goes I gotta tell you your father's sinker was the toughest he's one of the toughest pitchers I ever had to face I never looked forward to it my kids were all uh, that was uh, that was amazing dad and I said I think Kirby was laying it on a little thick for you there <laughs> but uh, it was fun it was fun for my kids to hear that from a Hall of Famer that's an amazing compliment who was the toughest hitter you had to face? Eddie Murray. <laughs> oh. You know, a combination of, of power uh, and uh, ability to put the ball in play. Eddie is, uh, I remember this one at bat. And, you know, in order to pitch to Eddie, you had to pitch inside, outside, change speeds and all that. And early on in my career, I had a difficult time really locating my fastball. And the thing that got me by more than anything else was the movement on my fastball. My ball kind of went all over the place. So I relied on that more than really spotting my fastball. But I remember this one time I had set Eddie up for a fastball in and I had put it exactly where I wanted to put it. And he got his hands out and he just kind of kicked it and fouled it off. And I said, I'm not sure I can do that again. <laughs> and sure enough, I probably didn't. And he put the ball in play and he was, he had a pretty good, uh, probably one of the main reasons he's in the hall of fame is because of me. I put a few, put a few hitters in the hall of fame as I, <laughs> as I remember. You weren't done with Seattle after your uh, playing career. You, you ended up going back to school to the university of Washington. And then I, I know fans remember you as of course the pitcher and then the general manager. I'm not sure how many remember you as working for the Mariners for a number of years after your playing career. Right. When uh, all of our kids were born in Seattle uh, and so when I was done playing, trying to make, uh, think about how do I transition into something else, 
I had some opportunities to be a minor league pitching coach, as I remember. I didn't feel like I wanted to have that lifestyle with my family. I had three young kids uh, under the age of five. And so I uh, went back to school at the University of Washington, got an MBA in uh, two years. I had actually started my MBA program at, the un- at uh, Northeastern University in the offseason when I played with the Yankees. But then being traded, traded to Seattle, I just decided, well, I couldn't really do that in the offseason as much anymore. We, we moved to Seattle full-time in 1984, uh, that first year, and lived there uh, even in the offseason. So when I was done playing, I got my MBA uh, in 1989 and then started to take a look at opportunities out there. And then the Mariners gave me a call. I remember Chuck Armstrong gave me a call and asked me, if, uh, how would you like to interview for the farm director's job, you know, director of minor league operations? I said, well, that sounds maybe a little bit more uh, up my alley. So I went in and talked to him. The general manager at that time, Woody Woodward, I really didn't know. He wasn't there when I was there, but uh, Chuck was there. Roger Youngward, who turned out to be really my main mentor in my uh, transition from a player to a front office person was there we all went out and they ended up offering me that job and i worked uh for them for six years as the uh director of player development and as i said roger youngwood uh, who also passed away a few years ago was my mentor he helped me understanding about i lived player development but i didn't live scouting and he helped me kind of blend those two uh to get an understanding of what it is to work with young players to develop young players to to see the talent in young players and to like young players, you know, not just to be, um, anyway, to make that transition. And he was very helpful, and I, I enjoyed that, that job. It was, it was one of the most pleasurable jobs I had in baseball outside of playing itself. Boy, and that really set the table for, of course, 1995 and everything that would follow after with uh, a lot of those great young players that came through the system. Right, right. We had some good young players come through. I mean, when I took the job, Junior was just leaving the minor leagues and going into the big leagues. But then, you know, we obviously we drafted and developed uh, A-Rod. That was more getting out of his way than doing too much to help him along the way. There were some good young guys that came along that I got to see, uh, you know, Edgar Martinez. uh, And as some of these guys that were there in the minor leagues, uh, David Ortiz to this day, uh, you know, I would see David all the time. He'd give me a hug. Uh, his name when he was with the Mariners was David Arias, uh, guys like that. And I, people ask me these days, you know, what team do you root for? All the teams you worked for, played for, and so on. I said, well, if I had one team that I probably would root for, uh, and it's the team my kids all root for, it's the Seattle Mariners. I mean, growing up and obviously having that 1995 season with us and being part of that and participating in that was so exciting, you know, refused to lose. There's still a, uh, you know, a big part. I think we still got the T-shirts and everything down in our, uh, our boxes downstairs. But that was just such an exciting way to finish up my – that was essentially was for the end of my Mariner career there before I went on to uh, work with the Mariners uh, – work with the, uh, the Expos. But um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to, uh, to see that, to see the work that those guys and, and to really – continue to get to know those players uh, and uh, see them develop and have that success. The interesting little part of that, as I remember, was that Bobby Wolcott was the first rookie to start an opening series of a playoff game since I did against the Kansas City Royals. 
So there was a long time in between that. So, Bobby, that was 1995. It was 1978 when I did it with the Yankees. It all came full circle. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Then you went on to be the general manager of the Expos, which had to be thrilling, especially with all the, the great young players at that point, but a very challenging job at the time, I can imagine, because of the circumstances. Yeah, it was. I mean, the, the Expos had a, a terrific reputation in the game. I mean, for developing players, the challenge was because of lack of revenue that there was a constant turnover and moving of the more veteran uh, established players that can help you win at the uh, major league level. And uh, so I understood that, but the idea that I had, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to build a major league team and to make the decisions. And I talked to a lot of people about the, the personnel there. Everybody had rave reviews to talk about the personnel and the city. And my wife and I both had grown up on the East coast. So it was a bit of an opportunity uh, to go back to the East coast. Our parents were still alive at the time to spend a little bit more time with our families. Uh, And so it was, a kind of a good mix, a good opportunity that I enjoyed. And uh, as I said, we did have some good players still there uh, looking at the teams, and we had a lot of good young players still coming along in the pipeline. So uh, it was fun. It was a good challenge uh, to do that. And uh, it was frustrating at times, but uh, the fun part was I made all the baseball decisions with my baseball group. Uh, We didn't have ownership just says, as long as you can make it work financially, you can do that. Uh, and that was the, the challenge, but the, the fun part of it. Well, you went on to be a scout with the Blue Jays, and I love the connection of you with Vlad Guerrero in Montreal and then you with Vlad Guerrero Jr. in Toronto. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, he was a little uh, five-year-old running around. I don't know when he was born, but he was very young in Montreal, out in the AstroTurf after the games. He would play with my kids on the turf uh, while he was waiting for his dad to dress and uh, – uh, get ready after the ball games. My kids would go down on the on the turf, and and uh, while they were waiting for me to come out of the, I would go down the the uh, clubhouse after every game, talk to Felipe Alou, talk about the game, anything come up, any injuries we need to be, anything that need to be prepared for the next day. Uh, and so my kids played with Vlad Jr. Uh, coming along, and it was great to see the the uh, the connection. I got to to uh, say. Hello to Vlad Sr. again. Actually, I went uh, to his induction ceremony in Cooperstown when he went in and then saw him in, uh, uh, off and on when he would come to see his son play. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was a great connection. He was very good for Canadian baseball. And uh, it looks like Vlad Jr. is really coming into his own this year and uh, fulfilling some of that promise he had. He's a, a great young talent. And you just retired in, in 2018. So what, what are you up to these days? Yeah, I, I spent, uh, what did I end up, 42 years yeah. in baseball. I, I spent uh, a lot of the years in the front office uh, working with, you know, after the Mariners, worked with the Expos and then the Orioles as the GM for them as well. And then I was out of baseball for a couple of years uh, working in finance. Uh, and then I came back into baseball when Alex Anthopoulos, who was the the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays at the time, I just called him to congratulate him because when Alex was 22, I hired him uh, in Montreal. 
to come in and, and he worked in PR and, uh, you know, he would take the players mail down to the clubhouse and, and distribute it to all the players. So it's kind of a bunch of things that he would, a mishmash of things that he did with the Blue Jays. When I say I hired him, he was hired him. He called me up. Was the, A quick story was he called me up, and my secretary at the time was away from the desk. So in Montreal, I would occasionally just pick up the room and say, hi, this is Jim Beatty. So Alex was 22, and he was on the phone, and he says, I wasn't prepared to actually talk to him. I was thinking I was going to talk to his secretary. So Alex hangs up. <laughs> and then he says, this is ridiculous. If he talks to me, I've got to be able to have the nerve to talk to him. So he calls again. My secretary's still away. I pick up the phone and I said, hi, this is Jim Beatty. Then he introduces me himself and says he's interested in baseball. Uh, he had just graduated from college. And I said, Alex, why don't you come on in? We'll let you talk to a few people. And we ended up hiring him. And uh, so I was really just calling him to congratulate him about his getting uh, hired as the new GM of the Toronto Blue Jays uh, in, what was that, 2010? Mm. And he says, hey, you know, what are you doing? I'd love to have someone with your experience kind of help me be an advisor of sorts, maybe do some scouting with us. And I said, I'd love to talk to you about it. And as it turned out, they ended up hiring me, and I, I was a major league scout with them for uh, nine years until I retired in two, after the 2018 season. And uh, since that time, I've been busy. Uh, we've, we've moved and remodeled, built a house here in Hanover, New Hampshire, where Dartmouth is, where both my wife and I went to school. My, do- my, my, oldest, my son went to Dartmouth. My, daughter, my older daughter went to Dartmouth and also went to graduate school here. So it's kind of a base for the family. And, but we travel a lot play golf. I still fly fish with Rick Griffin and go out to Montana, fish with friends in Seattle. I see we get back to Seattle. We have some great friends in Seattle all the time and uh, we see them all the time and uh, uh, playing golf, fish, ski a lot. I still, my, my, ski, my knees, those hinges work pretty well. The shoulder is okay, uh, but the knees and uh, hips and ankles are all in good shape. So I do a lot of uh, out downhill skiing all over the country. And really, um, we were in Italy last year when COVID broke out. Oh. So, uh, I stay very active. I'm, I think I'm back down to my college playing weight of about 210 these days. So I've lost some of that professional, uh, uh, weight <laughs> that I had when I was bigger and stronger when I was playing, but enjoying, uh, enjoying it. My wife and I are both retired Martha. Uh, and you know, Martha still has Martha's mom's going in Seattle. It's a uh, master's rowing group. We, I was very fortunate in a lot of ways to be traded to Seattle because it was a great boost for Martha uh, to be able to continue her coaching uh, of crew. Uh, we actually hear this morning, she is a volunteer coach for the women's Dartmouth uh, crew team. They had a reception for some seniors uh, that, that are graduating this year with the crew coaches. And uh, so she stays very active in rowing still. So, to be able to do that in Seattle. And, uh, uh, and as I said, the Martha's, uh, Martha's mom's group is still very active in Seattle with, uh, over a hundred rowers, I'm, rowers, I'm sure. So wow. we stay active, uh, and, uh, enjoy life. So you have lived an incredible baseball life. I love, there's nothing better than a great baseball story. And I know you have a million of them, but do you have, a favorite baseball story that you like to tell? 
you know, there are just so many, there are just little vignettes of, you know, with that there aren't really, sometimes the stories will pop into to my mind about uh, where I was, whatever. The one thing I guess I, I often tell people about is, so I was uh, a rookie with the, or a young, uh, I can't remember if I was the rookie season or maybe while I was still in the minor leagues, I was in spring training uh, and our spring training facility was with the, uh, it was in Fort Lauderdale, but we were playing at the Tigers stadium in uh, Lakeland, Florida. Mm. And in those days, you know, you're, you're early on, like they still do, your starting pitcher would go two or three innings earlier in the spring training and you work, you build your innings up. So I'd thrown my three innings in spring, my start in spring training in Lakeland against the Tigers. I was icing my shoulder and I'd gone in, there was this little cinder block clubhouse, not very uh, glamorous in those days, but outside they had a picnic table. And then there was the chain link fence where you could sit at the picnic table and watch the rest of the game. So I was icing my arm. I put a T-shirt on over all of that. I took a beer out with me, and I was sitting at the picnic table, icing my arm. And at those days, uh, uh, Billy Martin was the manager early on. So Billy had a few of his teammates in spring training to kind of help with the experience, and I'm sure probably keep him company at night when he uh, went out to dinner. Hmm. But I'm sitting at the picnic table and out carrying a six-pack from Mickey Mantle and Willie uh, Whitey Ford. So they had come down and they sit. And now I knew them because they were in spring training, but I didn't know them really well. I knew Whitey better than Mickey because Whitey worked with the pitchers. But they sit there and they're say, hey, Jim, nice. You know, I throw my trainings. Nice job today. We talked a little bit about that. And then they, they just sat there drinking beer and telling stories and about their playing days and what they did. And do you remember – you know, and they just riffed on each other and they would riff on Billy. He was managing Billy would go out and do something. And they would make fun of him and they would yell at him from the, from the, uh, the picnic table with us. And I'm just sitting there for like three or four innings with these guys for an hour, Mickey Mantle and Whitey Ford. And I'm saying, this is, this is a dream. This is unbelievable. I mean, I, they were in, they were in spring training with us, but I was, I had them essentially to myself for an hour. And it was, it was, uh, it's one of my favorite stories. One of my favorite memories. That's incredible. Oh, I love that. Man, yeah. Mickey Mantle. That's amazing. Yeah. Some, obviously some big names in the game. And, uh, uh, but when you just get them and talk about baseball, they love talking about baseball. That's where they were most comfortable, uh, sitting around just, uh, you know, in, in their t-shirt and shorts and, talking about the game huh. well jim this has been really fun uh, it has been so great to catch up sharing some of the stories i hope we get a chance to do it again down the road soon this was great thank you so much for the time we really appreciate it well i'd love to thank you gary i enjoyed it and uh please uh, give my best to the mariner fans so we my family and i have very very fond memories uh of our of our life out there and as i said my uh son sam and his wife julia is still out there so we get to visit and uh we get to see it every once in a while safeco isn't or not even safeco anymore i guess it's t-mobile park it can't compare to the kingdom i don't think (laughs) (laughs) okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 